Welcome to the Mini Culture Podcast Season 5 from KFAI Community Radio. We all hopped up on Jesus and the social gospel. Take the meat out onto the street. Let's go. Do you know why they had booths? Because chairs you can pick up and throw in a fight. Booths are nailed down. This season, stories about Minnesota history. I'm Ahanti Young. Here in Minnesota, the roots of our music scene tell a story of our very own polka mecca. In the middle of the corn and soybean fields of rural Sibley County in South Central Minnesota sits a massive building complex that was once considered by some to be the polka capital of the world, the Gibbon Ballroom. On this episode of the Mini Culture Podcast, Stay Young, Go Dancing by James Napoli. Highway 19 takes you into the town of Gibbon, Minnesota. Population, a little less than 800 people. And out here, it's flat. Once prairie, now corn and soybeans, as far as you can see. Silos and grain elevators dot the horizon. As you approach town, you pass a complex of buildings behind a chain link fence. It almost looks like an airplane hangar. Massive, but unassuming. You might even drive by without a second glance. If you pull off the road and walk inside, you'll find storage for a nearby farm. A harvester, combine, machinery the size of small planes parked on the dirt floor. And up in the rafters, pigeons. You can hear their coos and flapping wings. It's incredibly quiet here now. But you'd never guess that this was once the site of a legendary Midwest venue, the Gibbon Ballroom. It was just this giant ballroom in the middle of the prairie. It's, it's literally two hours from anywhere. It's out in the middle of nowhere. We used to joke that it's not the middle of nowhere, but if you stand on the roof, you could see the middle. And they had some big stars there back in the day. If you were somebody in polka in the 70s and 80s, you played Gibbon. Six Fat Dutchman played out there. Rhythm Playboys from Wisconsin. Wally Pickle, hell of a guy. We loved like Shile and Shaw and some of these bands that, you know, drew crowds from even the cities. Everybody would come. I mean, it was, it was crazy. And of course, there was a lot of drinking underage. And everybody would dance and just have a blast. I can remember at the end of the night, you know, we'd say, ah, this is the last one. And they'd go, one more song, one more song. And they'd be stomping on the floor in the whole building. I'm thinking, God, I hope the floor doesn't bust through. Beautiful, shiny wood floor that you could glide across when you danced. I'm going back to Minnesota to be there by morning. At one point that had neon rimming the, the roof line, you know, so you could see it from miles away. Well, the Gibbon Ballroom was a, a multi-complex. You had the ballroom, 
And then you had the eating area, the pomponical room, and then the boom room. And the boom room was really more of a, like a barn. If we had an event where there was any any chance of um, dealing with uh, any kind of body fluids from people that had been drinking too much, we would put them in the boom room. It was the best ballroom, had the biggest floor, and could hold the largest crowds. I can't even count the number of people that told me they met their spouse there. I mean, it's a huge number. You know, if you wanted to impress your lady, you would take her to given ballroom. My parents met there. And I had a friend, too, that she met her husband out there. They didn't stay together, but they did meet out there during polka days. Uh, I mean, Gibbon's not a very big town, and the towns around it are all small. Where do these people come from? You know, well, they were coming from every small town within a 50-mile radius. Yeah, the first place that called itself a ballroom was in 1932. That was in Sleepy Eye, called the Patterfoot Ballroom. New Ulm resident Dan Grebner is a local expert on the ballrooms of southwest Minnesota. From Minnesota to Texas, uh, ballrooms were very popular. Uh, the Dakotas, Wisconsin, Nebraska. Every town had one or another uh, sort of venue where people danced. Here in Minnesota, the heyday of the ballroom scene really began after the Second World War. There was so much pent-up need for people to have entertainment that the ballrooms really took off and the music really took off. The ballrooms had dances, wedding receptions, uh, other types of celebrations. Uh, these buildings were built for music with good acoustics. In our area, it was mainly old-time music. Polkas, it's schottisches, uh, there are waltzes. It's a lot of music that the immigrants from the old country brought with them. To accommodate all the dancers, these ballrooms had exceptional dance floors. And it was typically hardwood, often maple. And most of them had a raised stage. They had to have a place for people to sit down to rest. And so they would, many would have booths. And, and then they had refreshments. And that typically meant a bar. And a bar typically meant rowdy behavior. And fights broke out in ballrooms. And there isn't a whole lot said about what caused them, but these, you know, young people were maybe uh, competing for mates. I heard a funny story from a guy who owns a furniture store that used to be a ballroom, and he said, do you know why they had booths? Because chairs, you can pick up and throw in a fight. Booths are nailed down. <laughs> How it originally started was down the park, and we found the city council minutes. Right here, I have that right here. Uh, it was from April 16th, 1926. Gibbon natives Corey Becker and Romy Peterson are working on a book about the Gibbon Ballroom. They're sifting through boxes of old photos and memorabilia spread across the dining room table of Romy's farmhouse. Considering the application of Marlowe and Olson to hold public dances in the village of Gibbon. It was motioned, seconded, and carried. A permit was ordered for a period of one year for $25. Uh, what the original ballroom was, it was, I mean, it was just four walls. That's it. And then later on, they got fancy and they nailed a bunch of like two by fours for people to sit on. In the colder months, they had a furnace in the middle, a wood stove. 
You know, the stock market crashed in 1929 and dancing was a thing for people to do. For the farmers, they'd work hard all day and they'd come to town and have a couple of beers and go dancing. They leased a portion of the village park for a dance pavilion right in the middle of town. In the early days, it was all old-time music. And these were local farmers. They couldn't read music, so they, they played and they listened to the other guys playing and they, they all played along. A lot of people will say that uh, prohibition didn't exist in Gibbon. But, you know, what do you do at dances? You drink beer. So people would be going in these dances and they'd walk outside and they'd pee in the middle of Gibbon. It wasn't long before the city council forced the pavilion to move just outside city limits. After a few decades, the ballroom's dance floor was turned into a roller rink. So they would go around the, ball, the dance floor and they would nail down two-by-fours so that you wouldn't fly into the booths. Yeah, I, I remember going roller skating. It was like in the early 50s. or By the mid-50s by the mid or 56, 7, it was closed up. And don't forget Mr. Mr. Given Polka Days himself on the drums, Mr. Cliff Hermel. Thanks for coming, Cliff. But then, in 1961, a larger-than-life character came to Gibbon, revamped the ballroom, and ushered in a golden era for music and dance. His name was Cliff Hermel. Cliff made the Gibbon ballroom. He played in an old-time band, uh, kind of a surly guy. He had glasses and um, balding. He always had a cigar. He always had a cigar in his mouth. Like to squeal, like to drink a little bit, you know. People loved to visit with him. He knew your name, he knew where you were from. So he would grab a 12 pack of beer uh, out of the cooler and he would just go walk into a camper, you know, knock on the door and, and introduce, you know, go in and give everybody a beer and have a beer with them. Well, he was like a grandfather. Musician Lori Missel Lochner grew up playing in a polka band with Cliff. Cliff taught us to uh, keep the crowd entertained. And he would tell us, you do not take a break. If you take a break, you lose the crowd. You keep the energy up and you keep providing entertainment. He was a go-getter. Cliff was known for playing rudiments on the side of the snare drum or on the wall or on a wood block. or That was Cliff's notoriety when he was drumming with us. His wife, Katie, nice also, but at first to some people probably came off a little gruff. But once you got to know her and she got to know you, Katie was a sweetheart. She was kind of tough. <laughs> she ran as a you know, tight ship. His wife would man the, the front gate and collect the money from the people coming in. And then Cliff would bring out bottles of brandy or whatever and, and give people free drinks. So she would take it on one end, but he would give it away on the other end. And I don't know how they made money, but... <laughs> and they worked hard in their lives. They worked hard to keep that ballroom going. Before I was born, Cliff and my dad made a bet. If I played concertina... For my first instrument, Cliff would give me $100. If I played any other instrument, Dad would have to pay him $300. When I was eight years old, I played my first three songs on concertina with Cliff drumming. He put the $100 bill on the snare when we started playing, and when I was done, I gave him this huge hug, and he gave me the $100, and I still have it in a picture frame on my dresser next to my bed. 
gotten up in the morning and said to yourself, I need to polka something fierce? In the early 70s, Cliff started a new tradition at the ballroom. <laughs> then you want to be in Gibbon, Minnesota this weekend. 35, count them, 35 polka bands from around the Midwest have descended on the southwestern town. I think it was the largest polka festival at the time in the country. Gibbon Polka Day is the granddaddy of them all. You know, it was the big one. It was the one that everybody had to go to, you know. It was like in car racing, you know. It's, it's Indy. It's Indianapolis. The Gibbon Ballroom was, you know, that was Indy for the polka people. Polka Days was this huge family reunion. My sister and I would look forward to Polka Days the entire year. We had people that would come to Polka Days from the, all 48, you know, lower states, and even a few from Alaska. There was a couple that came from Holland every year with their wooden shoes and would dance. Back in the early to mid-70s during the heyday, I heard one estimate that was like 20 or 30,000, which I find kind of hard to believe. But I also had people telling me that, well, the whole football field was full behind the ballroom. The weekend before campers would start, start showing up. So they came a week before the polka day started. They would bring their mobile homes so they had the best parking place. All the city streets, you know, people camping and uh, people in Gibbon would rent out rooms in their homes to, to people. And uh, they said it was just, you know, campers and people everywhere. And they'd have three dance floors and bands everywhere. They had a portable dance floor they'd put in the parking lot, bands playing in the main ballroom. They had a band playing in the dining room. They had a band in the boom room and a band in the pumpernickel room. So it was five different bands playing at once. The parade would march in every day at 4 o'clock. We would gather outside the Pumpnickel Room, start in the ballroom. The two songs were Schneider and Sauerkraut. Then at the end, whether we ended up in the South 80 or the tent or wherever, we would go into How Dry I Am. What's interesting is you look at the fence, there's three strands of barbed wire and it's out like a prison, you know? You'd drive by on the highway and you'd see people pushing their wives over the fence, you know, to save a little money on, on tickets. And they did the concertina jam, which was on Thursdays of polka days, and anybody could come up and play three songs on the concertina and Cliff would give them six silver dollars. Polka Day started in New Ulm, about 20 miles south of Gibbon. It was originally a one-day event, wildly popular, but it got out of hand. Just beer cups and beer bottles and garbage filling the curbs. People passed out in the curb, passed out on sidewalks. And Cliff Hermel had the ballroom then, and he saw an opportunity. So he took it over, I think, in 70 or 71. Folks in Gibbon were a little worried when Cliff first brought polka days to town. You know, and we have to remember that, you know, the people that are 80 years old dancing to polka now, well, they were 30, they were in their 30s back then, you know, so I mean, they were, they were up to party and they were up, some of them were up to no good. When I grew up, nobody locked their doors in Gibbon. It was like, you didn't lock your car doors, you didn't lock your doors. And we had heard really bad stories of things that happened in New Alm from drunk people, in mayhem. So I'm sure people were worried about that. People of Gibbon were scared. They thought uh, uh, there was crime coming to town. 
if people bought uh, locks for their their houses. Yeah, the, the hardware store sold a lot of locks. People wanted to lock everything up. They were that was the big thing. They were afraid of uh, crime, and there was nothing. When you'd have polka bands, everybody had a good time. Nobody fought, everybody had fun. Everybody is having a good time and smiling and is gracious and polite. You know, the party outside mm -hmm. after we shut down for the night, that went till sunup. There, there was a group that would set up a, a little mini city by the South 80 on the corner. And yeah, they went until the sun came up. be Sunday night after everything was done and Brad Cliff's son would shut off all the lights except the bar lights in the ballroom and it would show on the maple dance floor it was the most beautiful thing I can still picture it to this day but it was just surreal like all the fun we've had and we would just just be just be in the moment and think how grateful we were for this and how lucky to have experienced it <laughs> We'll be right back with more from the Mini Culture Podcast in just a sec. Support for the Mini Culture Podcast on KFAI comes from Hennepin History Museum in Minneapolis. At the Hennepin History Museum, you can learn about your community through the stories of people, places, and things from our past. The museum's mission is to bring the diverse histories of Hennepin County to life and to help people understand their world through exhibits, collections, public programs, a magazine, and a research library. Learn more about member-supported Hennepin History Museum at hennepinhistory.org. This is the Miniculture Podcast. I'm Ahanti Young. Back to Stay Young, Go Dancing by James Napoli. Polka days only lasted a few days each year. The rest of the time, there were weddings, anniversary parties, proms. They had like teen dances. A lot of kids went out there. In the day, that was the place to have your wedding dance. There were times in the 70s that there were actually three weddings going on in the facility in one day. Fabulous place to have an all-school reunion. And most of the wedding dances, in fact, I think almost all of them were open to the public. It just got crazy. Some of these bands that, you know, drew crowds from even the cities, like Shile and Shaw. And I remember even the monkeys came to Gibbon. Two of the monkeys were there. It was like Davy Jones and Mickey Dolans. I had friends that went. I was so jealous. My great-grandma took tickets, and she quit working there in the 60s and 70s because it got so out of hand with the weed. The rock and roll bands, you know, they would tear the sinks off the walls, and the toilets would just be terrible, and the booths would be destroyed. Then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. 
On a cold evening in the late fall of 97, some very special visitors stopped by the ballroom. Coming to you live from the Gibbon Ballroom in Gibbon, Minnesota. It's a Prairie Home Companion. We knew that this was a special show that Garrison wanted to do. He wanted to do something at this, in this ballroom in Gibbon. Longtime cast member Sue Scott remembers traveling from the cities to join Garrison Keillor on stage at the ballroom. And have polka bands, and this was just something that he wanted to do. We were like, okay, whatever. It's a polka show tonight, boys. And I remember it was very sort of cold and snowy and dark, sort of out in the middle of, like, where are we? So this was definitely a smaller audience, but lively, lively audience. In Gibbon, Minnesota, the people come to dance. They're wearing matching jackets, shirts, and shoes, and pants. He just loved that part of Minnesota history. I think he just thought, this used to be the staple in these small towns. The elevator is one of uh, the two big uh, architectural features of Gibbon, and this ballroom complex is is the other one. <laughs> Great ballroom, and up above the door it says, Gibbon, stay young, go dancing. Right to the left of the stage was the men's restroom. I mean, right there. The guys would line up to go to the bathroom, and they were chatting, like, hey, how's it going? Well, oh, yeah, did you get your crap? Oh, yeah, we did, but gosh darn, it's cold today, isn't it? Yeah, it's cold too early to be this cold. Hello, we're doing a radio show up here for like 5 million listeners. The whole complex has over 10,000 feet of, square feet of, maple dance floor, which comes out to be 14 square feet for each of the 712 residents of Gibbon. This is more dance floor per capita than you'd find in New York City, Los Angeles. And you could hear the flushing. You could hear the toilets flushing. When the doors would open and they'd hold the doors for each other, you could see guys at the urinals. We had never done a show like that before or since. And if the polka makes you happy, then you came to the right place. Because when you're talking about polkas, you're talking about gibbon. That's the news from Lake Wobegon, Minnesota, where all the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. By the time of the Prairie Home Companion broadcast, the golden era of the ballroom had ended. Crowds for polka days were getting smaller. Cliff Hermel was getting older. And he started looking to sell the place. Cliff didn't have to look too far. Just over the fence lived a man named Steve Seaboth. Hi, Steve? Yeah. Hi, I'm James. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Come on in. Thanks so much for having me. Steve says it killed him to see the ballroom falling into disrepair. And I would get up in the morning and, and look over and just shake my head because the place was falling apart. It wasn't being taken care of. You know, weeds and, and peeling paint. It just looked horrible. He says he became obsessed with the idea of bringing the ballroom back to life. Against the wishes of his wife and mother, Steve decided to buy the ballroom 
with his dad. And together, they started fixing up the place. And we were opening for the first polka days in six weeks. So I was working literally 18, 19, 20 hours a day, getting the kitchen up to code, the beer coolers up to code. We completely uh, gutted and redid all the bathrooms. Uh, we painted everything. Word spread pretty quickly among the, the polka festival community that Gibbon was back. How about a nice hand here for Mr. Steve Seaboth, one of the owners of the Gibbon Ballroom. I have to commend this young fellow that I think he's done a marvelous job to this place. Attendance at Polka Days started to pick up. Things were looking good in the early 2000s. But then Steve's health took a turn. I, I would have to stop halfway walking across the ballroom. I'd have to stop and sit down in a booth and uh, we couldn't figure out what was going on. And I was eventually diagnosed that year with uh, kidney disease. Within a few years, Steve wasn't able to keep the building running. So, once again, the Gibbon Ballroom was put up for sale. He was hopeful, but it was hard to find a buyer. We always thought somebody would reopen it as a ballroom, and we actually had a number of people that wanted to reopen it as a ballroom or a restaurant, but either they didn't have good credit or they, um, the banks just didn't buy their business plan. Eventually, Steve sold the ballroom to a local farmer, it just didn't make sense financially to keep it running as an event venue. But it was perfect for agriculture, a massive storage facility right on the highway with plenty of room to store equipment and hay bales. The ballroom was gutted and everything, including the maple dance floor, was auctioned off. A couple years ago, uh, I was in town for something, and I just drove out there just to check it all out, and everything just got ripped out. Dance floor was gone, the, all the new bathrooms were gone, you know, the stage, everything. And it, it, I gotta say, it broke my heart. When the Gibbon Ballroom closed, that was a, a sadness. It was a tear in the eye for a lot of people. The first time I went by it and saw the hole in the side of the ballroom, I cried. Um, it's just this empty shell now. I was crushed. I was crushed. It was like, there goes another one. The, the odds of anybody ever building something like that again in rural America are zero. But it's a shame to the people that live in town. You almost hear something about it every week. There's a lot of people that miss it a lot. I, you know, I think the, the, the demise of the ballrooms is a couple of things. Drinking and driving laws certainly had a factor more patrolling, you know, the highways afterwards, right or wrong. There have been a lot of other events and activities from going to the Twin Cities and things that you can do where it's, it's not just the social media and, uh, event as it used to be with dancing. A lot of people go to the casinos. I think that's been a downfall of live music. Aside from weddings, people don't go out like they used to. Uh, you're competing against high-speed internet, 60-inch flat screens with 250 channels and Netflix, and you can't compete with that. Is there enough interest to make it come back and survive today? I'm not sure that that's the case. I'm thankful for what we have and for what still exists, but that's a tough business to be in. I think of all the good times we had there and thousands of other people had there, you know. Oh, well, time passes on, you know. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. oh, it is. Hello. 
Hi. Are you Hi. the guy? I'm the guy. <laughs> One evening, earlier this year, a group of Gibbon residents gathered downtown for their weekly happy hour. Years ago, everybody had livestock, and it's just completely changed. All over the United States is the same. Same thing with small towns. Everything is just the same. You know, you don't have the restaurants and the uh, car dealers and tractor dealers. Grocery stores. Uh, grocery stores. Things have really changed in small towns. But we still have a baseball team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Romy Peterson, who's working on the history book about the ballroom, helped organize the get-together. I think there was a sign on the ballroom that said that, stay on, go dancing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, he, and he used to have, on our water tower, he used to say, given the Polka City. People in town still love to reminisce about the good old days at the ballroom. <laughs> How big were the crowds in the 80s? Oh. When it was in the Doc, I, I, Doc, there was, I, I, I can't imagine what, to, I, I don't know how to put a number on that anymore. Because it went 10 days, didn't it? Yep, 10 days. Yeah. So you had you know, quite a few I, thousand. It was a lot of thousands. 30, 40? I don't know that high, but. They came sometimes 10 days before it started, yeah. polka days, Come so they could get a good parking yeah, lot yeah. with their campers? It was really good for Gibbon, in the, especially in the 80s, when I'd say the numbers are the high. Gibbon was considered having the best polka days in the United States. And uh, they were called, it was called the granddaddy of all polka yep, days. Yep, exactly. It's a point of pride for longtime residents like Doc Taggetts and former mayor Jerry Howe. One thing I can remember that uh, uh, when you go on vacation and they ask you where you're from, uh, you say Gibbon and they all know Gibbon Ballroom. I, 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 I can't see any more than I, it was best part of my life, I think, to be part of that group. I, I, one of my highlights, I should say. Can't say enough good about them. It's just, they're just, they're good people. The Gibbon Ballroom closed its doors for good more than a decade ago. But its legacy still looms large on the prairie. I think that theme, stay young, go dancing, says it all. A lot of truth to that. That was your recreation. And you know, you have a beverage and you talk to people and you laugh, you tell your jokes and your stories. And the, the challenges and troubles that maybe you had on the farm, maybe you lost a calf, something didn't go right or something broke down in the machinery. You go to the ballroom and you go dancing. And that's when everything came back to smiles. And you forgot about those other things in life and, and you just took care of having fun. Stay Young, Go Dancing is a production of KFAI's Miniculture and was produced by me, James Napoli, and edited by Melissa Olson. Funding for Stay Young, Go Dancing was made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.
Stay Young, Go Dancing was produced by James Napoli. In addition to writing, editing, and reporting, James is one hell of a photographer. You can follow him on Instagram at james.napoli. That wraps it up for the Miniculture Podcast. Support for the Miniculture Podcast comes from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Support also comes from the Hennepin History Museum. Some of our music comes from the Blue Dot Sessions on the Free Music Archive. The Mini Culture Podcast on KFAI is edited by Ryan Dawes and Melissa Olson. Until the next time, I'm Ahanti Young. Be conscious, be creative, be change. Thank you.